It was a night filled with emotion as the brave people who saved the lives of 21 others in the Tofino whale watching incident were honored for their bravery. Ten people were given the Governor's Gold Award in Vancouver. Last year, the group rescued 21 people from a whale-watching boat that capsized near Tofino. The family of a woman killed by her husband in a gruesome murder is pained by having to relive the horror story every two years. And it's just so incredibly frustrating. We just went through this hearing, and in June of this year, he is up for full parole. So we are going to have to go and attend again. Crystal Brenzi's aunt, Iris McNeil, was killed and her body mutilated by James Shortreed back in 1997. And on Friday, they were at a parole board hearing to face a convicted killer. She says going through the ordeal multiple times every two years has taken its toll on the family. It'll be 19 years this July that my aunt was murdered. When you go through a traumatic tragedy, sometimes it brings families together and sometimes it tears them apart. It has torn our family apart. Brenzi says something needs to be done to prevent victims' families from being put through the emotional ringer at every single hearing. More gunfire in Surrey. Police responded to multiple calls for shots fired just before 6.30 yesterday evening at the area of 62nd Avenue and 142nd Street. Police found shell casings. They also found more casings near 142nd and 64th Ave. Police found one suspect vehicle, a white Ford pickup. They're looking for another uh, small car. Police believe the shooting was targeted and they continue to investigate there. A 4.2 magnitude earthquake has hit off the coast of Vancouver Island. Natural Resources Canada says a quake struck yesterday morning about 102 kilometers southwest of Port Alice on the west coast of the island. The agency has not received any reports of people feeling the shake. Internationally, this morning, at least 47 people, including 39 civilians, have been killed by a suicide bomber who rammed his explosive-laden fuel truck into a crowded security checkpoint. This happened south of Baghdad. Officials say at least 65 others are wounded. Ashif Khalil reports the violence comes amid a string of bombings throughout the country in the past month. This comes as part of a spike in violence in Iraq that has killed at least 158 people in a series of deadly bombings on crowded marketplaces, funerals, and security checkpoints. A police officer says the non-civilians killed in today's attack were members of the security forces. In the race for the Republican nod yesterday, Texas Senator Ted Cruz won Maine and Kansas, while frontrunner Donald Trump took Kentucky and Louisiana. On the Democrat side, Hillary Clinton lengthened her lead by taking Louisiana, while Bernie Sanders won Nebraska and Kansas. Clinton and Sanders will debate the issues in Flint, Michigan, tonight ahead of the state's primary on Tuesday, while President Obama will be holding a state dinner at the White House later this week for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Correspondent Lara Logan spoke with Trudeau for Sunday's 60 Minutes today as he was, uh, she was surprised by his youthfulness. You know, when you look around the world stage, what are you looking at? Elder statesmen, right? Or you're looking at you know, men uh, who've been in the political arena for a very long right. time who ascend to high, you know, the highest office. And Justin didn't do it that way at all. And maybe he is the first in a new wave. It'll be the first such event for a prime minister in nearly two decades. And the East Coast continues to get hammered with snow and strong winds. Uh, there is another warning for northern and eastern Newfoundland with 30 centimeters of snow mixed with 100 kilometer per hour wind gusts today. Meantime, with California into the fourth year of a severe drought, flash flood watches have been issued for much of the central and northern parts of the state. CKNW News Time, 704. Now, here's the latest AM 730 traffic. Good morning. In Coquitlam, lights are out at the intersection of Thermal Drive and Como Lake. It is now blocked off in all directions. In Vancouver, road work on First Avenue between Victoria and Nanaimo down to single lane alternating traffic both directions. In New Westminster Parkade deconstruction, Front Street is now closed until July. Westbound truck traffic diverted to Columbia. Eastbound diverted to Royal Avenue. This is daily, 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. In Tawasson, road widening on Highway 17 between 56th Street and Tawasson Drive. For the most up-to-date traffic information, Go to AM 730, all traffic, all the time. I'm Michelle Morton. In sports, Peyton Manning has told the Denver Broncos that he'll retire after 18 NFL seasons. In the NHL, the Canucks won in San Jose last night 4-2 in James Reimer's debut for the Sharks. 
Uh, William uh, Nylander scored his first goal in the NHL for Toronto as uh, they lost 3-2 to Ottawa today. Ottawa welcomes Dallas in one of six games. The NBA has the Raptors going for their 13th straight win at home. They face Houston. On the pitch, Liverpool and Crystal Palace are even at one goal apiece. The Vancouver Whitecaps host Montreal today in their season opener at 2.30. Global Sky Tracker weather now on CKNW and some showers expected today and around 10 degrees down to 7 tonight. A rain tomorrow and 10 degrees, again rain throughout the rest of the week with highs up to 11. In Abbotsford this morning, it's 9 degrees. Outside CKNW at Pacific Centre in downtown Vancouver, it's 10 degrees. CKNW Newstime is 7.06. I'm John Meyer. Seven minutes past 7 a.m. on this Sunday morning. Still a lot of attention from this side of the border being paid to what's happening in the presidential race in the States. And a lot of Americans living in British Columbia also paying attention. And Democrats are actually voting for their nominee. In fact, they can vote for their nominee. Mike Minear is with the group Democrats Abroad and joins us on the line to tell us what's been happening. Mike, thanks so much for being with us this morning. You bet. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. Uh, we've, we've chatted about this before, but a big uptick, it seems, in Democrats, in uh, U.S. US um, Americans living here, uh, getting involved in the uh, nomination race. You're absolutely right, Jill. I was here in 2008 when uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, same candidate that uh, we have uh, today, were running against each other, and uh, we saw a huge uptick. And I'm seeing very similar response uh, I went out actually and voted at one of our polling places uh, uh, in a pub we had set up here in Vancouver for voting, and we had a line. You had to wait in line for about a half an hour before you could vote. So it's all a very good sign for uh, the Democratic Party, and, and I think this election that you've got people even uh, around the world who don't even live in the country anymore but can still vote are very enthusiastic and want to turn out and be a part of the process. And different for Democrats in that all expats can vote in the election, but uh, the Democrats actually have, uh, you've, you've almost created a state for Democrats that live abroad. That, that's absolutely right, Joe. You've got it right on the head. The Democratic Party uh, acknowledging that there is a very large population of Americans. Estimates are about 9 million Americans live abroad. Um the numbers are fuzzy. No one really keeps very good track of this, unfortunately. We think there's about 150,000 Americans in Vancouver alone. And so the Democratic Party, seeing that, that uh, there's an opportunity, obviously, uh, organized an organization called Democrats Abroad. The organization has uh, active chapters in uh, countries all over the world, and we've got uh, 17 votes, actually, at the Democratic National Convention. So when we turn out and vote in our primary, which runs through the 8th of March, we are really picking people that are going to speak for us at the Democratic National Convention. And Democrats abroad as a group, do you back a particular candidate? No, no, no. These are just people that live abroad and care still very deeply about our home country and want to make sure that we have good leadership, not only for domestic policy, but obviously living abroad, we care very much about you know, the U.S. position in the world and how we're seen and how we conduct ourselves. And so, you know, we 
we've come together and organize every four years. And, um, of course, people have their, their candidates that they prefer, but the, the organization, Democrats Abroad, and, and those of us that volunteer for it, make sure that up until the convention, we sort of keep that to ourselves and, and really just focus on the process of making sure that Americans uh, can vote. And, and it's very easy, Jill, as I think I told you, we, we talked earlier this week, uh, you know, you simply have to go to democratsabroad.org. Uh, you join the Democratic Party, which is free, by the way, and uh, then you can either, you print out your ballot and you can either mail it, email it, or fax it in. So it's all very, very quite simple and, and, and easy to do. Unless you chose, uh, as you said, to go to the pub to one of the, the physical stations where there was a bit of a lineup. Well, yeah. and I, you know, <laughs> Isn't that great? You can actually go vote for your uh, candidate and then have a pint of beer afterwards. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> was that, and that was, uh, there was one held yesterday. Was that, that, that the last physical voting station for, for a nominee? Yes, that's right, Jill. Yeah, many of the Democrats abroad committees, you know, we, we organize ourselves somewhere to the political parties in Canada. It was local folks that, at, you know, in neighborhoods and communities that get together to organize committees very democratic. And uh, we've put on three polling events this past week. Uh, one we did Tuesday in regards to Super Tuesday. We thought that was a good day to, to mobilize people and it worked. Again, we had those long lines of people wanting to vote. But uh, yesterday was the last one, but, but we can still vote. If you haven't had a chance to vote, if you are an American citizen uh, living abroad, simply go to democratsabroad.org and you just have to vote by uh, 12 midnight at the end of uh, March the 8th. And then for the 17 delegates, and then that will be broken down proportionally by by vote? I know. We, you and I talked about this earlier this week. It's, it's so hard to explain all this to, to people that aren't from the U.S. But the best way to say it is that, you know, the Democrats, we pick all our nominees through these primaries and caucuses, and we allot our delegates proportionally. So if Hillary Clinton gets 50 percent, then and uh, if she gets 50% of the vote, then she gets 50% of the delegates. We, we, we are a much more proportionally oriented uh, system than the Republicans who have a, a stronger emphasis on this winner-take-all thing. So, yeah, you know, we will have our 17 delegates, and we will simply look at, at the proportion of votes for Senator Sanders and the proportion for Secretary Clinton, and that's how, how those will be allotted. Uh, and as you mentioned, too, uh, Democrats Abroad, the group, doesn't uh, endorse a particular candidate. Uh, but we do see uh, the other group in B.C., uh, the B.C. for Bernie, uh, where yeah. there's a lot of uh, crossover. There are members yeah. of Democrats Abroad who are also members yeah. uh, who are backing uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, how yeah. much of it is, do you think, uh, obviously people want to vote for the person they think who is best for the job. But how much of it is also uh, strategic thinking in uh, that if Donald Trump is the person they're up against trying to get the best candidate to defeat Donald Trump? Well, I think that's what all of us are trying to do <laughs> that are in the Republican Party. And I think a lot of Republicans are trying to find the best candidate to beat Donald Trump. Uh, no, I, I really think that both of our candidates, uh, Hillary Clinton or uh, Bernie Sanders, would do a fine job. Uh, and, and what's nice is that we have choice. There's there are two very different candidates running in the Democratic process, but in the party. But yet they're being very civil and polite and issue oriented about this whole thing. You know, we we are not seeing the vitriol and and the nasty rhetoric uh, about minority communities and, and this sort of thing in, in the Democratic Party, which I think says so much. So, you know, I, I I see so many scenarios in which Bernie Sanders does really well against whoever is the Republican nominee, but particularly Donald Trump. And, you know, just as many scenarios where Hillary Clinton does very well. So, you know, the, the bottom line is that we want to make sure that the Democratic candidate uh, is, is going into the election well-funded, and both of them are doing a great job of funding. And, you know, Senator Sanders in particular is doing so well with small donors. And that we go in as a united party. And I have no doubt, just as we did back in 2008, after the Obama-Clinton uh, race, that we're going to have a very strong party and a very strong candidate because we're going to have to because people just really don't want to see this this sort of nasty and vitriolic um, rhetoric associated with Donald Trump. Certainly don't want to have that in the White House. And, and as a, as an American citizen or as, a, as somebody from the states uh, living here, is it difficult watching it? I, I mean, it must be good to be to be involved and to be able to to cast a ballot. And, and in that sense, is it difficult though being out of the country and watching it from from that perspective? Well, it's not. I, I'm a political junkie, so I enjoy all of this and think it's quite interesting and, and keep a lot of contacts uh, in Washington D.C. where I used to live and in, in Ohio where I was raised. Uh, I, I think that these 
we, we live in a democracy, and we're so fortunate that periodically we get to go to the ballot and decide who we want representing us and who we want speaking for us. And, you know, we are big, diverse countries, Canada and the United States, and, and we have all these voices. And I think it should be, they should be heard. And at the end of the day, I have a lot of confidence that it's reasonable-minded uh, people that are going to sort of sway the vote. And I think anytime you have this sort of vitriolic rhetoric that we're hearing, it gives people that are opposed to that kind of thinking, which I think is a clear majority, just that extra energy to say, I got to get out there and vote because we cannot have someone like this, you know, representing the, 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 the free countries of the world. And, um, and so I think in a way, Donald Trump is good because I think it's going to mobilize a lot of people, particularly young people that we see supporting Sanders. It, this is not a vote, uh, an election you can sit out. You know, you got to get in there. You got to have your voice heard, particularly if you're uh, in the Democratic Party or see yourself as center or left of center. Well, and there, um, there's also uh, the talk of uh, if uh, if we happened to see a President Trump, uh, you might be seeing a lot of your uh, American friends joining you on this side of the border. I know. Well, I love it. I've <laughs> seen all this this uptick of the uh, Immigration Canada website. Now, come on, you know, we 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 need good people up here and. Uh, Americans and Canadians, we, we have such a great history and love for one another, so I think it'd be great. <laughs> I, my, 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 my much stronger preference would be that he lose and everyone would be able to stay in the United States. Yes, exactly. You know, there's too much traffic already in Vancouver, Joe. I don't really want much more, quite frankly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mike, just before I let you go, if, if people are listening to this or if somebody's listening to this uh, who is an American and uh, interested in voting, uh, as you mentioned, the, the physical voting stations are done, but what should they do? Yes, right, Jill. If, if you're interested in voting in the Democratic primary, and by the way, if you're a Republican and you want to vote in the Democratic primary, we, we welcome you participating. Simply go to democratsabroad.org. You can download your ballot there. Uh, you will have to join the party, but it's free and very fast to do. Download your ballot, and then you can email it, uh, post it, or fax it in. It just has to be done by 12 midnight, March the 8th. And I'm guessing, too, there, there's something there on the website that you that you prove that you are an American, that uh, that, that you're, you're right. able to vote. That's right. You, you do need to be able to prove your, your address. You can use a passport or a local driver's license. We, we've made it as low barrier as possible because, you know, this is democracy. And we want to make sure that everyone that has a right to vote can vote. All right. Mike, great to chat with you. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, Jill. Always great to talk to you. Have a great Sunday. OK, you too. That is Mike Muneer. He is with Democrats Abroad. Again, if you are an American and you're living on this side of the border, you can check out their website. You can vote in the Democratic primary. We'll take a short break. Much more coming up right here on The Jill Bennett Show.
Thanks for being with us. 20 minutes past 7 a.m. on this Sunday morning. Lots to get to on the program. Coming up, we're going to talk a bit more about the use of drones when it comes to search and rescue. Is it a tool that will be able to help teams get to people who are lost a little bit faster? Also going to talk to a woman who will be taking part in the Ride to Conquer Cancer. She's uh, also very much involved in the... um, Cancer Foundation, raising money for cancer research. So we will hear her story coming up on the program as well. We're going to talk diets, being healthy, healthy choices when you're at the grocery store, more real estate as well, the uh, wacky real estate market we have here in uh, Vancouver. And we're also going to check in with one of the cast members of the Hooker Monologues. A really, really interesting Interesting story. Uh, Raw, I think, is a good way to describe this work. It's coming to the Fire Hall Arts Centre, and they're looking at adding an additional show because uh, the shows are sold out. So we're going to talk about that coming up on the program as well. Uh, But as I mentioned yesterday in Vancouver, the Life-Saving Awards were handed out. It was a big ceremony, a lot of amazing stories and stories of bravery. There were 10 people that were given the highest bravery award for their work in saving 21 people when the Leviathan 2 capsized in Tofino. Sadly, six people died in that boating accident. But they received both the silver medal and the governor's gold medal award. So we'll talk about that a bit more coming up. But there was also another award given out, the silver medal for bravery. Another, well, there were a few of those handed out. One of the recipients, a man by the name of Mark Tura, And here's a guy who was just sitting on the dock or sitting in a park on the banks, close to the banks of the Fraser River, sees somebody in distress. And it really raises the question, what would you do if you were in this scenario? Would you hurl yourself into the Fraser River and try and help the person? Would you call 911? What would you do in that scenario when clearly time is ticking? Time is extremely Important. Well, I chatted with Mark Tura at the award ceremony yesterday just to talk about what he did. Now, my apologies, the audio is a little bit difficult to hear because we were talking in a very noisy room. But here's a little bit of Mark telling his story on what happened on that day right by the Fraser River. Take us back to this day. You're, you're down at the pier, you're on the banks of the Fraser River, and what happened? What's well, at the Westminster Quay there? A guy just came up to me and said, Hey, there's a guy in the river, do you got a rope? And I said, Yeah. He was uh, he was on his cell phone calling 911. So I grabbed the rope out of the back of my truck and we just ran to the fence there. And then, uh, sure enough, there was a guy, he was about 50 feet out. And uh, he was sort of floating with his nylon jacket. You could see the bubble of air, so it was sort of keeping him up. And the guy said he was just screaming at me. He needed help. I said, okay. So I climbed down the, there's a chain there, like a boom chain, down to about 15 feet down to the water, and then dove in and swam out and grabbed him. And then dragged him back to the boom. And uh, by then the police officer had arrived, and uh, the fire crew, and they threw down some ropes. And... uh, they yanked him up onto the, the Westminster Quay there. What state was he in when you got to him? Well, he, I guess his head was down when I got to him. Uh, but the fellow that called 911 uh, said he was just yelling at him before that, so before he ran to my truck and got me. And did you think about it? I know a lot of people, I mean, maybe, I don't know, does something kind of come over you? Or when you, when you were knowing that you were jumping into the, the Fraser River, it can be pretty cold. Well, no, I mean, this. I drove, went in with my boots and uh, everything that I had on, just, yeah, no, the, the fellow that called 911 said he couldn't swim, so he couldn't do nothing, but I says, okay, we'll just stay there until the, because he had the 911 crews coming, so I just said, uh, hang in there, I'll go get him. And you then, uh, I was reading in the, the write-up as well, you have a history as a longshoreman, so you're you're familiar with that, that part of the world. Oh yeah, I worked for Local 502, New Westminster Local, and I worked on that exact dock when I was 18, loading the ships. The freighters used to come in there and tie up there. Now they uh, tie up across the river, and I still work for Local 502. And did the, the paramedics or anybody, did they want to check you out when, uh, when they got there, or you were, said, no, I'm fine? <laughs> All in no, a day's work. No, no, the police officer said, you got to go over there and get checked out. And the ambulance crew checked me out. They give a little test, an oxygen test on your finger and see if, uh, see how it is. And it was good. 
And then they, you know, they're worried about hypothermia, but I wasn't in the water that long. But, so I said, no, I'm fine. I'm going home for a shower. And what does it mean getting this award today? This is pretty good when you see some of the rescues and that, like, especially that native band from Who's It, and they, those guys all went out and helped those people. And the one guy, Jet Ski Jesus, that, you know, that's hilarious, but it was, and the guy that, I uh, pulled the two girls out of the uh, waterfall. I mean, these are amazing things that happen. That uh, was Mark Tura. He was a rescuer. He pulled a man from the Fraser River, saved his life. He was uh, awarded the Silver Medal of Bravery yesterday. And as he mentioned there uh, at the end, he talked about Jet Ski Jesus. That was another man who got a Silver Award for Bravery. And uh, the name kind of says it all. He was uh, on a lake. I forget which exact lake. I believe it was in the Okanagan heard cries for help, uh, took off on the jet ski and able was able to save somebody. And also uh, the other gentleman that uh, he just referred to, uh, he is a man that uh, on the island, he risked his own life to save two girls that were stuck. They were in a grotto in an area, I believe near Comox. I will double check that. And they were stuck in this grotto. They had about uh, an air pocket about the size of a car tire, we're told. And they were breathing. They were just breathing in the air pocket. They were petrified. They were crying for help. And he risked his own life and dove in to save them. And he actually is going to join us just after the 8.30 news this morning to talk a bit more about what happened that day and what it's like to get recognition, to have an award like that to hand it out. So we'll talk to Andrew Payne, the rescuer, just after the 8.30 news this morning. Remember, you can always reach the program, weekendnewsckw.com or jbennett at cknw.com if you want to uh, join the conversation on anything you've heard here today. You can also tweet at cknw or at Jill Reports if you would uh, like to send your thoughts along via Twitter. Just got an email from Andy saying, you're harsh on poor Justin. Really, as much as I hated Harper, I would have at least cut him some slack before railing on him. Let's say one year. The fact that he had a meeting with all of the premiers is a first step. Let's hope there are many more. Harper was a secretive, divisive leader, and I hope we will never see him again. And that is the number one reason we want political change. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate the email. I don't think just because there's been a change in leadership at the federal government, we should go easy on somebody or not take them to task when they say things that don't make sense. And uh, so, Andy, a little bit later on in the program, I'm going to play for you uh, some more comments from Justin Trudeau. He is one of two politicians that uh, I'm going to play to you their response when asked about the affordability when it comes to housing issue in Vancouver. And my question, a little game I want to play, is called Who Said Less? Who used the most words to say the absolute least? Because both of the answers, I'm left shaking my head after listening to them. I have no idea what these guys are trying to say. And their solution to affordable housing? Well, my guess is you'll shake your head also. But we're going to uh, play that game uh, around 8.45 this morning. So that's uh, coming up on the program. Your news headlines to 7.30 coming up next. And when we come back, the use of drones when it comes to search and rescue. Uh, There was some issue about privacy or some concerns about privacy. But uh, Coquitlam Search and Rescue is going to be using this tool. They're getting some access to RCMP drones. We will find out about that when we return right here on The Jill Bennett Show.
Over a dozen campers living in Victoria's 10 cities say they will not be moving from the courthouse lawn, this even if the province is successful in getting a court injunction to shut down the camp. A notice of application filed in B.C. Supreme Court last week stated people living in the camp are trespassing and defying requests and orders to leave the property despite offers of other housing. A 4.2 magnitude earthquake hit off the coast of Vancouver Island. It struck yesterday morning about 102 kilometers southwest of Port Alice. And 10 people have been honoured for saving 21 lives in a whale-watching incident last year near Tofino. The BC and Yukon Life Saving Society gave their annual award for the most heroic rescue of the year to the group in Vancouver. Six people were killed on the whale-watching tour last October when a large wave hit the side of the boat, capsizing it. CKNW News Time is 7.31. Now here is the latest AM 7.30 traffic. Good morning. In Coquitlam, lights out at Thermal Drive and Como Lake. The intersection is now blocked. In Vancouver, road work on First Avenue between Victoria and Nanaimo down to single lane alternating traffic both directions. And a crane lift on Terminal that's now blocked between Maine and Quebec with VPD on site to help manage traffic and detours. Downtown Vancouver, Homer is closed at Pender to accommodate connections beneath the intersection until 7 o'clock this evening. For the most up-to-date traffic information, go to AM730. All traffic, all the time. I'm Michelle Morton. In sports, the Canucks were winners in San Jose last night. In NBA action, the Raptors play at Houston. And in soccer actions, the Vancouver Whitecaps season opener at home against Montreal this afternoon. The latest global sky tracker weather on CKNW and cloudy and with some sunshine this morning and some rain still expected later today and tonight as it drops to 7 overnight. Cloudy tomorrow and a small chance of showers. Periods of rain Tuesday right through until Thursday. Highs hitting 11 degrees. In Mission, it's 8 degrees this morning outside CKNW at Pacific Centre. In downtown Vancouver, it's 10 degrees and partly sunny. CKNW weather for Fidelity Investments. Bring power to your portfolio. Ask your financial advisor about Fidelity Mutual Funds or visit fidelity.ca. News time is 7.33. I'm John Meyer. on this Sunday morning. Thanks so much for being with us. You likely heard this story in the news and search and rescue teams in B.C. will be getting access to RCMP drones to help them in their searches. And uh, there are some questions being raised about that privacy issues, exactly how much access they will be getting and what it's going to look like. CKNW reporter Shelby Tom spoke with Michael Coyle. He is the manager of the Coquitlam Search and Rescue Team. He and his team put forward a proposal to Emergency Management BC to operate the drone pilot project. That's the pilot project, not the drone pilot. Uh, He says it's a good first step, but he would also like to see more access to the use of drones by search and rescue teams. Here is some of the interview uh, between Michael Coyle and Shelby Tom. It's uh, another tool that we can use to uh, uh, look for missing people. And um, 
And uh, more importantly, it's uh, it's a resource that the RCMP already has uh, in the payroll, so it uh, it's just uh, reusing something they're already using for traffic reconstruction. How often do you think an RCMP drone will actually be used during a search? That I'm not sure. Uh, it really has to do with availability and um, how close uh, how close the detachment is to uh, where uh, a rescue is taking place. And, and these are details that we need to work on, on how, uh, what kind of searches we're going to activate uh, drones on, um, what sort of uh, operating procedures we're going to use during their operations, what kind of training we need to do with the RCMP to understand the capability of the pilot and the machines they're flying. Um, those are the things that we'll hopefully discover over the next few months as, as we roll this thing out. Are you aware what limitations there will be when it comes to uh, privacy and, and access? What kind of rules and regulations there are around using the RCMP drone? No, at this time, I have no information on what the, what if there's any rules on, on privacy. Uh, I, I what I understand is that. The RCMP will be flying under their uh, operations flight certificate, and whatever rules they have in place already will will clearly apply. But we haven't been briefed on what those are. Um, I'm assuming that uh, I mean our original proposal for the use of drones was to use them in wilderness situations entirely and not fly over built-up areas. So I'm not I, I'm I'm not sure how the privacy uh, applies in those situations. Do you know if you'll be able to use these drones in overnight searches, if people go missing overnight? No, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, that that would be covered under the flight operation certificate as well, whether or not they can fly at night. And uh, But the, we've been told that they have infrared cameras, and those cameras work most uh, work the best at night, so I'm sure there's some situations where they'll be allowed to fly. Do you want greater access to drones? Is this just uh, the first step forward? Yeah, this is just the first step. Um, just like uh, we have access to RCMP helicopters for searches, but often they're busy because they are police equipment and they're used for other things. And sometimes it's really limited by the pilots, uh, you know, whether or not the pilots are available. So uh, this is a first step we, that, you know, the, the, the RCMP will make these available. But we'd like to see it similar to how we use private helicopter contractors. Um, if the RCMP drones aren't available or aren't capable of doing what we have in mind, uh, then we would like to be able to contract out for uh, private operators uh, under similar circumstances where they would, um, they would work under... Uh, um, th their operation certificate and their insurance and follow similar, similar rules as well. Are you still working with Kazen Kinetics? Yeah, Coquitlam Search and Rescue still has a relationship with uh, Kaizen Kinetics, and uh, they've they've shown quite a bit of commitment to us. Uh, to, you know, giving us a lot of free. Uh, they've they've given us all of their consulting has been pro bono to date. Um, you know, lots of flights, demonstrations. We've done scenarios and and uh, and stuff with their with their uh, aircraft, and we're hoping to use them in the future. Would you like to, to get to a point where a search and rescue volunteer could operate a drone? Um, it depends on the situation. Uh, here in the southwest, we have, and, and a lot of other places in B.C., we have a lot of um, operators. And my feeling is that professional operators are probably best for this type of situation. And uh, no matter how hard a volunteer is going to train, they're never going to be as good as a professional who does it for a living. Um, so that being said, there may be situations where an individual might be uh, called upon to fly one. Uh, uh, we're thinking um, there's, a, there's a class of drones that are sub two kilograms. And let's say uh, we were out in the mountains and we wanted to inspect something and we, you know, we didn't have the time to fly in someone from a long way away to, to come in and just do it. We, you know, we can see a time in the future where you just have a small 
uh, drone in your pack that might be able to handle five minutes of flight just to look down in a canyon or something. So it's possible in the future an individual star volunteer will be using these things. Currently, my feeling is I'd like the professionals to at least for the start. Was there an official pilot project underway in Coquitlam, or were you just kind of doing this consultation on your own? Um, well, we've been doing the investigation, and we proposed a pilot program to EMBC. We're the only team in the province who did so in the past few years. And uh, they've taken that under consideration, and I've been expecting to hear whether or not they'll let us go forward with it. Uh, this RCMP announcement's one step, and I'm hoping to hear something about our proposal soon. And uh, just one more note on that. Uh, that was Michael Coyle with Coquitlam Search and Rescue speaking with Shelby Tom in a statement given to CKNW. RCMP Staff Sergeant Rob Vermeulen says the RCMP respects the privacy rights of British Columbians and is committed to ensuring the preservation of those rights balanced with public and officer safety. He says the drones are regulated by Transport Canada. They are operated by trained RCMP pilots who are well-versed in the strict regulations for commercial use of the systems. Uh, we'll talk about that, uh, I believe, a little bit more coming up in the program. We'll take a break, though, and when we come back, preparing to ride 200 kilometres on a bike, all for a good cause. We'll talk about that when we return.
Thanks for being with us this morning. Well, my next guest works in the Department of Radiology at Vancouver General Hospital, but she's also motivated to raise money and take part in this year's Ride to Conquer Cancer. That's a 200-kilometer bike ride. Uh, you've probably heard of the ride. We've co- we cover it uh, every year that it happens. And Karen McCullough joins me on the line now to talk a bit more about uh, why she's taking part in the ride. And Karen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the ride is still a, a bit away, a ways off, but I suppose it's something that if you're participating in it, you're, you're thinking about it a lot and about raising funds and getting ready and uh, being both physically and mentally ready to take on the challenge. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's constantly on my mind. That's for sure. Uh, so talk a bit, though. How, what was the motivation? I know you work uh, in the Department of Radiology at VGH, so you probably see things uh, cancer-related far more th- than, than most people. Is that, was that part of the motivation to take part in this? Actually, no. Um, in my position, I don't really have any patient duties. Um, I support the, the head of the department. Um, but uh, what really motivated me was that... Um, you know, so often you, I've seen so many of my friends and people I know uh, who've had cancer. And uh, I'm happy to know that more often than not, they're surviving it. You know, I, I, I first started getting involved with um, fundraising uh, with team and training for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I met people and trained with them to do uh, uh, marathons. And um, that's what got me started. And I didn't realize that some of the people I was training alongside were actually cancer survivors. Uh, So from that, I I decided, okay, I've I've done five marathons now, and I've raised $17,000 for leukemia. I think I need a new challenge. Um, So I thought, okay, let's. Let's try to ride to conquer cancer. I had a friend who worked at the hospital who was involved with Team Finn, and I asked her about the ride to conquer cancer, and she said, well, let me uh, send you some information and connect you with uh, um, with Team Finn and uh, go from there. So I, I found out some more information, and uh, I, I signed up. I said, okay, yeah, let's do this. And... Uh, so I did it and went for a training, you know, started training. And then uh, in July of last year, I went for a, a group training ride with Team Finn. And uh, unfortunately, I had an accident on that 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 uh, training ride and fell off my bike when I collided with the rider in front of me. And I, I fractured my arm Ouch. in two places. And... Uh, had to go to VGAs and get get uh, looked at by my uh, my colleagues in radiology. And when they saw my name come up, they're like, "What are you doing here? What happened?" Uh, so I, I had surgery, and unfortunately, that meant I couldn't do the ride last year. Um, so that kind of took me out of the the game, but uh, it didn't stop me from signing up again a month after having surgery to do it this year. And, and when is it happening this year? Do you know? It's it's happening. At, it always happens at the end of uh, August. Right. All right. Yeah. And, you know, I, having not been able to, to do it last year, I really felt like I really need to do this. I really want to do this. I really want to do this for uh, my friends who did not survive, but also for the friends who did survive. I have a friend who passed away uh, almost two years ago from leukemia, and it was it was all very very painful watching her die because she she died very slowly, and it, it was very sad. Um, but I have another friend who's a 16 year breast cancer survivor, and she motivates me all the time. She's training for her uh, second marathon she's going to be doing the vancouver bmo uh, vancouver marathon this year and i'm constantly in awe and inspired by her she had can- uh, breast cancer and uh at a very young age at age 32 and 
she survived and she's thrived and that keeps me going you know just knowing that people can survive and lead better and stronger lives it's it's important for us to keep raising funds and find an end to cancer and i'm i'm certain that in my lifetime that will happen and and um, with the race coming up, and again, not until August, though. So is is now the time when you, when you're training, uh, trying to to avoid having any more accidents on the bike, and and getting ready for it? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I I've having had my accident, uh, I haven't been able to get back onto my bike until January of this year, and and that is only just riding my bike to and from work, which isn't too far. But uh, I, I've slowly gotten the mobility back into my arm, so I'm going to get my, my road bike looked at after, after the crash, <laughs> make sure everything's working. And uh, within the next month, I'm going to get back on there and, uh, and start training. All right. Well, Karen, I think we'll probably check in with you closer to the race time and see how things are going, but uh, very inspirational. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to chat with us this morning. Oh, you're welcome. All right, that is Karen McCullough. She's going to be participating in this year's Ride to Conquer Cancer 200-kilometer race. I always uh, enjoy covering that because people are so uh, excited and they've worked so hard to fundraise and get ready for the event. Uh, So that's coming up again this year. Unfortunately, it always seems to rain on the weekend when the ride happens. They even moved the weekend, hoping to get better weather, and I think it rained last year. But a little rain, we can handle that. All right, we will take a short break as we get closer to your major news to 8 o'clock.